Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 919. Great things never came from comfort zones. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in all the way from Germany, Ulrich Andre, or as his friends call him, Uli. Hey, Uli, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I sure am. All right. Great to have you here. Uli, as his friends call him, is the Director of Global Communications for Recaro Automotive Seating in Germany. Uli was born in Cologne, Germany in 1965, and he's been working in the automotive industry for over 30 years, filling various communications roles from a freelance journalist via sales marketing to being the global media spokesperson for the worldwide leading automotive seating manufacturer, Audient. In this function, Uli is also responsible for internal and external communications for Audient's premium brand, Recaro, which which we all know about, Recaro Automotive Seating. He was born as the son of an automotive engineer who took him to the racetracks at a very young age, so Uli was infected with the racing virus way back. He worked his way up to the professional touring car and GT racing, being a factory driver for Volvo from 2002 until 2004. His greatest success was the overall title win in the 2012 German Endurance Championship, plus four class wins in the 24-hour race in the so-called Green Hell, of course, the Nuremberg ring from 2003, 4, 5, and 2017 with Audi. So, Uli, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your long career and your passion for automobiles? It's my pleasure and my honor to walk you a little bit through my career. So as you've already stated, it's, it's all my dad's fault, right? He was <laughs> yes. an automotive engineer and, and I wanted to follow him originally. So, but in the end of the day, I took a different career because I decided not to go into engineering, but into communications. Ah. And uh, at the same time, as you already said, during my time at university, I also spent um, some time at automotive magazines being a freelance journalist for motorsports. Then uh, working in motorsports, I met various great people like Nigel Mansell, David Coulthard, Michael Schumacher, and, and you name them. So great people, and, and but that wasn't enough me because I wanted to race myself. And up to then, I was just a fan or, or an aficionado, as you might call it, yes. um, and a freelance journalist. But I wanted to get behind the wheel. And I did karting already as a kid, but never wanted to do a career as a professional racing driver. But, but I, I just did it uh, for the fun of it. And then there came that day where I approached a team manager and I knew that he had only two drivers fixed for a six hours race and he needed a third one and I just went up to him and I said hey what do you think could I be your third driver doing the six hours race at the Nürburgring and he just went like hey if you ask me that way you for sure will know what you do you you for sure know what you do and I didn't have a clue but I got the drive <laughs> and guess what I ended up third in the race oh wow it was quite a success yeah, yeah that, that, so that that's how it all started with motorsports wow and in parallel to that um, I worked my my way through uh, various layers in the automotive industry and uh, here I am with Recaro Automotive Seating was just a cool place to be oh yeah you know I'll let our listeners know I got to meet Uli when I was at the SEMA show I got to spend an evening with him Recaro invited me to a nice reception and fed me a nice dinner and some beers and we sat and talked and I learned a lot 
lot more about Uli, and I said, man, you got to be a guest on my show. Your background in automobile industry is perfect for cars, yeah. And, you know, your your story there tells us a very valuable lesson. Don't be afraid to ask for what you want because you might just get it, including a ride at the Nürburgring. So, oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, I 100% agree. And I don't know if I have the chance maybe to talk later about my first race. I mean, it started really as a nightmare, I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, races can go that way sometimes. And we will talk about that. But first, as we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of thing that's important to you. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, Uli, take the wheel. I think, I mean, it fits the story that I just told. So one of my inspirational quotes would be, great things never came from comfort zones. So if you want to achieve something, you got to get out of your comfort zone, right? But there's also another, I don't know if this is a mantra, but also I think you have to focus and you don't need to get, or you must not get distracted from what you're aiming at. So there, there's a couple of story angles behind that. Um, maybe I have the chance to talk on that later on, but this is basically those two mantras and quotes are, are the way that, that kind of describe my life. They're great quotes and they make a world of sense because if you don't know where you're going and if you don't have a plan, you will never get there. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, my dream is to do this. And I always say, well, how are you going to do it? How do you get there? It's like a race. You have to have a, a race plan. Every team goes into a race with a very thorough plan. And that's how you get to the podium. So uh, very good story. Yeah, exactly. You can also you can also transfer it into, into business. I mean, you just said we met at SEMA for the first time. And I also told you the story of Recaro not being at SEMA for the past 10 years. And, and then we celebrated our comeback. And also we, we have a tough goal, right? So we said we want to increase our market share in the aftermarket when it comes to our Recaro products. And, mm-hmm. and for the time being, the share is like 90-10 between the OEM and aftermarket business, and we want to we want to shift it from from 90, 10, 70, 30. And of course, we don't want to give away on the volumes for the OEMs, but we want to increase the volumes on the aftermarket side. So it's a very ambitious goal. So we need to come out of our comfort zone to achieve this. Definitely. Yes, absolutely. And I got to meet your uh, president as well, the company, which was cool. He's going to be a future guest on the show. Let's go back in time first and talk about your history a little bit. I'd love to hear a story about what instant your passion for cars. You talk about going to the races with your dad. That certainly set the tone. But is there a pivotal moment when you realize, oh, man, I'm a car guy? <laughs> yeah. So basically, and as I mentioned before, my dad was an automotive industry uh, engineer, and he used to race in his younger years as well. But he didn't, he didn't race automobiles. He raced motorcycles mainly. But when he raced automobiles, he really had the good cars. He had the Porsche 356 Carrera. Ooh. He had the Mercedes 300 SL Gullwing. So he didn't own the cars, but he knew the guys who owned them, and he got a drive there. Oh, wow. So he was infected already, and, and I think... So he took me to the races uh, when I was like five years old, I think. And, and the one that I memorized very well is the Formula One Grand Prix at the, at the old Nürburgring Nordschleife. You know, this oh, 12 yes. miles yes. long up and down super trek in the Eiffel Mountains in Germany. And he took me there for the qualifying session in 1975. And, and this is really the data kind of got burned on my hard disk. Others might call it a brain. So, <laughs> but I really remember the sound because when you're standing at the track, you can hear the cars minutes before they arrive. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And then I do know the first car that went around the corner was Ronnie Peterson in a black 
John Player Special Auto. Second oh. car was Hans-Joachim Stuck, Hans Stuck. I mean, he raced in the United States as well with Porsche a lot, so you might know him. Oh, yes. So second car was Stuck in an orange Jägermeister March and so on and so on. And I, I, do, I still remember that exactly car by car. And for me, this for sure was the pivotal moment where, where I just thought, man, you can't do without auto. Oh, man, to be able to experience that with those great iconic racers as a kid. Yeah. And, and that era of race car was so special. And to do it at that track, I mean, everything was perfect for you. I see why your hard drive has this embedded <laughs> deep, deep into it. Oh, my gosh, that would be so cool. Yeah. Well, well, let's take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or even a big failure you faced along the way. You've chosen a, a very noble career in communications to help companies communicate what they do and their brands and build the brands, but also exactly. you decided to go race cars. Well, that's not an easy thing to do, especially to win. So take us to one of those times in your life where you met up with that challenge and tell us about that experience. But more importantly, what did you learn from it? Honestly speaking, the biggest challenge I've ever faced was Frankfurt Motor Show IAA in 2001, because this happened on 9-11 mm. and we all know what happened there. Yeah. So at the time I was working for Volvo and I was there at the booth as the company spokesperson and I was in a group of journalists and we were chatting and talking, having fun with each other. And all of a sudden one cell phone rang and the guy picked up the phone and he went away a little, little bit, a couple of meters from the group. And in, in, in the same, at the same moment, I just saw that his face turned pale white. And he came back to the group and um, he said, you know what, there's this plane, it crashed into one of the New York Towers. And we all went like, oh, come on, you're kidding. And we turned on all the all the TVs that we had on the booth and also the neighbor booths from, I mean, I think Ford was right across our booth and everybody turned on the news. And at that very time, we saw the second plane crashing into the second tower and that yeah. was just unbelievable. And then... Um, our president at the time told our staff, so if you want to go home, you can go home because this show is over. Yeah. And um, everybody went home except for, for the crazy Germans again. So we, we stayed there. We stayed there. We, we did the show for the entire two weeks. And uh, we even we even trained new presenters because the original presenters went home as well. And that was quite a challenge, I can tell you, because we, we had to do this overnight. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, I've had a couple other guests on the show that were abroad during that time, and they shared very similar stories. Of course, a horrific mm. time for not only the United States, but the whole world in many, many ways, because it opened up this whole new era for all the challenging things that we've had to deal with in a world of terrorism and everything else. However, uh, what that also taught a lot of people was the spirit that the whole world had, not only for the United States, but for each other as people, as human beings. Yeah. as good human beings on the planet. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway I hear from you because the spirit for you guys to stay and, and trudge forward. And when things are tough, you got to just keep keep on going. So uh, that's my takeaway from that lesson. But that must have been a, a huge, huge challenge for sure. Plus, yeah, people I mean, that were there from the U.S. couldn't even get home. All the planes were grounded. I know. And I fully agree, Mark. So if there is a positive story angle, that's that's definitely the one. The human spirit of people coming together to help each other. That's what I hear from that. Well, let's shift gears and, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a career aha moment. Now, you, you shared a great one with us where you were working in communications, but you said, I don't want to be on the other side of the car. I want to be in the car. I mean, that was a huge aha moment. But is there another one that you could share with us? 
<laughs> there's a couple of aha moments, but I think my first aha moment really in terms of the automotive industry was, and I mentioned it before, I, first of all, I wanted to follow my father and I wanted to be an automotive engineer. So before I went to university, I did a technical education at Mercedes-Benz at the time. And then afterwards, I wanted to go to university to, to do my studies on engineering. But Mercedes, I, it, it was a coincidence. I, I was, I was um, appointed the editor-in-chief for a magazine for the apprentices. Oh. And at that, yeah, exactly. And, and as I said, a complete coincidence. I never planned that. And I was just there at the right time, at the right place, being asked by the right people to do the right job. Because that was the very point when I noticed I love to do my research. I love to do writing. I love to communicate with people. I love to organize. I love to get the, this, this magazine rolling. And in the end of the day, we rolled it out over the nation in Germany, and, and it was a great success. And that was the pivotal moment as well for me to say, okay, I want to stay in the automotive industry, but not as a technical guy. I want to be on the communication side. Yeah. And then after, right after that, I really I did everything I had to do to achieve this, because during my time at university, I I changed from technical course to, um, I, so actually what I did was I studied economic sociology, psychology, and sports. Mm, yeah. Or, yeah, and I, because I, I just, I did sports my whole life, and this was just something I, I wanted to do. So, but in the end of the day, in parallel to university, I already worked as a, um, as a freelance journalist, and um, also I started to work as an apprentice in the PR department of Toyota, which for the German market is based in Cologne, which is basically where I was born. And, and that was the start of my career in communications in the auto industry. This is another great story, Uli, that you're sharing here, and that is when an opportunity presents itself, even if you've never done it before, jump in and give it a try because it may set a whole new course for your life, just like this opportunity did for you, right? And always work on your network. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, because in the end of the day, when, when I got the job at Toyota, so the guy who hired me earlier on was working with me at one of the motor magazines where I was a freelance journalist. Ah, yes. Perfect. Yeah. It's a small world, this automotive world. Yeah, it is. Automotive world is a small world and normally nobody gets lost. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As long as you work hard and stay honest and true, uh, you'll yeah. get noticed. So yeah, just like we're connected here. I mean, uh, a chance meeting at a reception in SEMA in Las Vegas bring us together today, a guy in Germany, a guy in Gig Arbor, Washington. <laughs> And now we're sharing your inspirational stories with the rest of the world. So very cool. Very cool. Well, I would assume you've had many proud moments in your career. Of course, that first race getting on the podium must have made you feel pretty good. But is there a proudest career moment you would share with us? Let me take this opportunity and really talk about my first race. Yes, I, oh, I was waiting for this. As a nightmare, <laughs> I, I can tell you. So I approached this guy who owned the team, and I just said, what do you think? I'll be your third driver, and we're going to do it. We're going to rock the ring. And he, <laughs> yeah, as I said, he, he, just, he just replied, if you ask me that way, I'm, I'm sure you know what you're talking about. And I, ha I had no clue. <laughs> I have never, I mean, I have been on the Nürburgring Nordschleife before, of course, but never with downforce, never on slicks, etc., etc. Yeah. So and I went out in, in free practice. And I was so slow. It was horrible. And then the guys came up to me and said, is everything all right? I said, yeah, why? So car is good. Yeah, because your time is a bit so and so. And I said, you know, I, I didn't want to damage the car. So I just 
Easy. And then came qualifying, and it was my time to qualify the car. And I was so lucky because right at the time when I exited the pits, so there was this guy passing by who was the leader in our class. And I just had the opportunity to follow him and see what he, he is doing on the track. And I just thought, if he is able to do that, and he, if he is managing to go through the corners at that speed, if he is able to break that late, I should be as well. And it worked out. Uh -huh. and at the end of the lap, I, and at the end of, a, of the lap, I slipstreamed him and, and overtook him, and I was on pole. <laughs> oh my god! You know that is such a cool story because you're right. If that guy's able to do it, why can't I? And I think it sounds like to me you just needed to have more trust in your machinery that it would do what you weren't quite sure it would do. And he was a great, great rabbit, they would call it here, as a term we yeah, used in the exactly. U.S. for dog track racing, great rabbit to chase. That's true. Oh, what an awesome story. That is so cool. Well, yeah. there's there's another great lesson for anybody out there. Ah, oh, wonderful story. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car. Now, maybe it was the first race car you jumped in, or maybe it was the first car you owned, but the first car in your life that had meaning. No, no. No? <laughs> it, it wasn't a race car. So the first very special car, believe it or not, so... So here I am working for a performance seating com company, Recaro Automotive Seating. Here I am being a race driver. Here I am being the German endurance champion in 2012. And my first very special car was a Volkswagen Passat station wagon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, tell us why that was so special. I didn't select that. My dad did. Ah. So I made my driver's license and I said, I want for instance, a Volkswagen, I wanted a rabbit or something, you know, something affordable. And he came up with this Passat because it was cheap, because it was, it had a solid basis, it wasn't rusty, no corrosion, etc., etc. So he just got it and gave it to me. And I just thought, oh my God, this is everything but a sports car. Yeah. But in the end of the day, this thing, this station wing, I mean, it was so roomy. It took me to Spain with my buddies from school. So we went there for, I don't know, like six weeks um, during school vacation. It took me there with all the luggage that we had. And we had so much fun in that car. You could sleep in that car. You could celebrate in that car. You could drink in that car. Yeah. I mean, don't drink and drive for sure. Right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> But, um, so, and, and there's so many good memories connected to this very ordinary car yeah. so that that I would for sure have to call this one of the very special cars but there's a second one and this is one that I still own so I have a little disease okay so I'm very much into Porsche <laughs> Ooh, me too yeah I know but I'm one of the few who not only admires the 911 but I also like the transaxles Ah, And so back in 1986, I bought a Porsche 931, which basically is known as the 924 Turbo. Yes. And I bought that back in 1986, and I really serviced it. I maintained it very well, and I still drive it today. So I own it for 31 years now. Oh, my gosh. It's in a perfect shape still, and uh, yeah, it's in my garage. Well, that's really cool because that's a very unique, rare car. It is very rare. Yeah. My good buddy, Bill, shout out to Bill. He lives up here in the Northwest. Just bought a 944. He collects older Porsches. and I have a 944 as well, an S2, um, which is very, very nice. But the 931 is, as I said, that's very special because, because I own her for more than 31, uh, for more than 30 years. It's 31 years now. Exactly. And it still runs strong. And, and you know that the German version is a little bit more powerful than the American version. Yeah. Yeah. And... It's very special, and also what is very special for me is uh, the, the car 
as well as the 944, they have Recaro seats. Of course. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. know. Well, that's so cool. Well, I, I assume right after this show airs, my friend Bill's going to text me and say, hey, does Uli want to sell that Porsche? Because he's probably already salivating when he heard that. But I'll say, no, I don't think that's going to leave Uli's garage anytime soon. <laughs> oh, what a great story. I love it when people have their old original cars. And you, you're talking about yeah. Recaro seats. I had a 72 911S that I found oh, yeah. a, a set of new old stock Recaro sport seats from the Porsches of that era. And I drove all day down yeah. south to pick those up. They cost me a bloody fortune. Had to drive all the way back. I and mean, I put them in that car, but uh, love those Recaro seats for sure. It's the perfect fit. Oh, it it's is. Yeah, yeah, works so great. Well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned or do you just keep everything that you have? Today, I say I, I should have. For sure, there's one car that I think my dad should have kept which is the BMW 2002 TII. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, mm. I, I still remember that car very well. It was very down-to-earth. It wasn't tuned or pimped at all. It was pretty much standard. It was beige, so no orange, no yellow, no green, no nothing. Mm -hmm. But it was a understatement car, but very fast on the road. Ah, oh, wow. Yeah. And there's not much around. There's not much around. So we, we should have kept that. Yeah, well... For sure. At the time, you never really realize how special something is until it's gone. So kind of like people in our lives, I think, but uh, <laughs> that would be a nice car to have. Well, I would love for you yeah. to talk a little bit more about Recaro Automotive Seating. Now, most of my audience is going to know the word Recaro. You guys have been around yeah. forever. I know that uh, there's different divisions of Recaro because on an airplane trip I took to SEMA, there were Recaro seats in that airplane, but that's different from what you guys are doing in automotive seating. So what are you guys working on right now other than expanding? the market that has you very excited and fired up there at Recaro. So it's it's a good it's a good point that you raise here. So automotive seating basically is the part of the Recaro brand that we use in Adiant in uh, of course the automotive market and um, Recaro aircraft seat does not belong to our company as well as the Recaro child safety branch. Mm -hmm. So talking about Recaro automotive, um, so we also talk about 111 years of automotive excellence. And I don't know if you know, but we started out as a coach builder. I'm going to stop you just for a second because I yeah, want you to okay. tell this story. Your president told this story at the reception, and I, oh, okay. I was kind of disappointed in myself that I didn't know this history, but I would love for you to share that. So 111 years ago, Recaro Automotive, or Recaro as such, started as a coach builder. And um, rumor has it that um, one of the founder's family members, Mr. Reuter, and this is where the Recaro name basically comes from, the RE stands for Reuter, and CAR stands for Carrossery, which is the German word for body or body in white. So Mr. Reuter used to live quite next to a fellow, um, I don't know if you've heard about him, but his name was Ferdinand Porsche. <laughs> oh, that guy. And Mr. Porsche... Mr. Porsche approached Mr. Reuter and said, I want you to build the body in white for the Porsche 356. And this is how it all started in the 60s and our relationship with Porsche. But then a couple of years later, Porsche decided to do the body in white by themselves. And they asked Mr. Reuter if they would be building the seats for the Porsche 356. And this is how it started with the seating business. And then um, becoming a performance seat company, how did that happen? Well, in the end of the day, when a car manufacturer at the time wanted to try something new, like on the engine, on the suspension, on the gearbox, or whatever it was, they went racing. 
And then for sure, of course, you needed the right seat for racing. And this how it all came together for, for mm. a car being a performance seating brand, which is still leading today. And, and also 50 years ago, so in 1967, we invented the first road-going shell seat. We refined that concept until today. And as I just said, it's 50 years um, anniversary this year. We just introduced, introduced the one and only in the market shell seat with an FIA certification, which is also street legal. Mm, wow. Very cool. That history, again, was a surprise to me. And I don't know why I didn't know that. I should have known it, but I didn't. But I love the backstory here. And moving forward with Recaro into the future, what are some of the things we might be able to expect to see from the company? Can you share any of that right now? So when we talk about the performance automobile market, it has changed throughout the years. So in the old days, we talked about the Lamborghinis, the Porsches and the Ferraris of this world. But today, a performance car could also be a Ford Focus RS. It could also be a sporty SUV like uh, an Audi SQ5, for instance. So the market for performance cars has changed, as I said, and you, you need to have the right products for all of these performance cars. So when you talk about, for instance, a sporty SUV, the seat has to look completely different uh, as opposed to a seat that you put into a Lamborghini, for instance, because if you, for instance, if you enter a sports car li like a Lamborghini, you go down into the car. But if you enter an SUV, you go up in the car. And what you don't want is those pronounced bolsters then because you, you have to go over them. You have to climb over them. And also, once you're in the car, the driving behavior and the driving physics of a of an SUV is totally different to, for instance, a sports car because the car, when cornering, rolls much more. So the, the support that you need from your seat is in the shoulders and not so much in the legs. So that's why an SUV, a sporty SUV seat, looks totally different um, as opposed to a seat that normally you would you would expect to be in a sports car. Ah, there you go. Yeah, well, my wife is very petite, and she drives an X5, and she has to climb up into that seat, and I can see exactly if that lower bolster was big, it would be a problem. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Well, it's so exciting, and I love to see Recaro back at SEMA, back in the United States, promoting what you're doing. Such an iconic brand, such a high-quality brand, one that I've known about for many, many years, and I've sat in many of your seats. So it's so exciting to have you back, and I'm so happy to have a friend there at Recaro as well in you, Uli. This is great. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Of course. You're welcome. Well, here's a very introspective question, Uli. If you were a car... What kind of car would Uli be and why? I think people would expect me to say I'd rather be a race car than maybe a station wagon. But um, I think I would be the most safe and most comfortable car to, to take my family from A to B. Mm, nice. So I'd rather be a sedan than a sports car. Of course, this sedan should have a performance seat from Recaro in there, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, to, enhance, to enhance the driving feeling because uh, what I used to say in the past and already today is um, that the psychology of driving and your confidence always starts with the right seating position and with the right seat. So, but... The most important thing in my life besides cars, or no, not besides cars, way above the cars is my family, of course. Yes. And I, I yeah. always want them to take, I always want them to be safe, as safe and as comfortable as possible. So I'd rather be a sedan than a sports car. 
Yeah, very nicely said. I like that very much. Maybe we could make you an M5 or something like that, something that still has some power behind it. Yeah, I never, exactly. I never said it, it shouldn't have some power. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> if we talk an M5, um, this, this is for sure that's a good basis to start with. Oh, I think so. Very nicely said, Uli. Well, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah! sponsors. Well, we're into December now, and the holidays are here. And if you have an automotive enthusiast on your list that's hard to buy for, get them a Covercraft gift card. They can go and order anything they want from the Covercraft website. All sorts of things are there, including car covers, dash covers, seat covers, sunscreens, front-end protection, floor mats, canine covers, work truck, power sports covers. There's everything there for the automotive enthusiast to take care of their special vehicles. I've been a Covercraft user since 1975. That's right. All the way back to high school. So go to Covercraft.com, click on the gift card button, order it in any denomination you'd like. You can put it in the mail, they'll ship it for you, stick it in a stocking, and you'll make somebody very happy. That's Covercraft.com, Covercraft gift cards at Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Okay, Uli, we are back, and we're entering the last lap. You've been on the track so many times, you know what that means. A white flag is out, and it's time for me to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? You usually don't win a race in the first corner. (laughs) Very well said, yes. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your many successes over the years? I'm pretty persistent and I'm very true to myself. And when I'm into something which is important to me, it's always for the long term. Very persistent, tenacious. That's the sign of a successful person. Now, is there a resource out there that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Well, surprise, surprise, if you are into performance cars, you definitely should visit www.recaro-automotive.com. Yes, of course. It's a great website. And of course, you're going to see all sorts of cool things there that you're going to want to put into your automobile. So be ready when you go there. But it's a great site. Absolutely. Now, if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? That's a great question. As a freelance journalist in my old days, I I met so many great people like Nigel Menzel or Damon Hill, David Coulthard and the likes. And maybe as a German, I should say Michael Schumacher. And I'm really, all my prayers are out there so that he has at some point in time a good recovery. But there's 
one person I would really love to have a drink with, and that's Alex Zanardi. Oh, yes, yes. Ever since the pass in Laguna Seca, I admire this guy. And after the accident that he unfortunately had in Germany at one of the IndyCar races, um, and, and I mean how he turned this situation, losing both his legs, into a big pro in terms of, I mean, he, he won Olympic Games for, I think, a couple of times now. Mm -hmm. So what, what he made out of this really bad situation is just unparalleled, I would say. And I would really love to learn from him what his motivation was. Yes, I would love nothing more than to have him be a guest on this show. One day I will get him here because that man, what he went through and, and what he pulled from deep inside of him to come back and do what he's done is an inspiration for absolutely anybody going through anything. So one thing I will definitely ask Alex, because when I saw that pass in, in 1990 in Laguna Seca, I think it was 99. So when he passed Brian Herter, I was full of emotions for Brian because I felt so sorry because when they approached the corner, Alex wasn't really in his gearbox, right? He was way behind, uh, like a car length or so, and he was so late on the brake. I, I just couldn't believe what I just saw. And I would have loved to ask Alex the question, what he thought about Brian losing that race, because it, it must have been really bad for him. Well, it'd be a great question, but oh yeah, that pass, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, go to YouTube. You can find it. And if you know anything or have any passion for racing, it will blow you away. You'll watch it over and over again. How did he pull that off? So, oh, wonderful. Well, how about a book? Is there a book that you've read and really enjoyed that you think our listeners would enjoy as well? Yeah. So there's a couple of books that I that really intrigue me. So one is, so basically it's everything from uh, Janos Wimpfen. Yeah. You know, the historic guy. Yes. Working on automobile historics and, and racing historics. So that this is very informative. So if you're into racing and you want to know more about sports car racing, for instance, he is the one to go to. Uh, but also there's one book. I don't know if you know the name. Alfred Neubauer. Ah, okay. He used to be the Mercedes-Benz race director back in the 30s when yes. they raced the uh, Silver Arrows. And he wrote a book, he wrote a book after World War II, which is called Men, Women and Engines. And it deals with the era of the Silver Arrows racing against the Autonians. And this is just adventurous, I can tell you. Great recommendations. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these wonderful resources Uli has shared with us today on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to carsyeah.com, type in Ulrich, I'm going to spell that for you, U-L-R-I-C-H, and his last name, Andre, A-N-D-R-E-E, -E, or Uli, and you will find his page there, and you can pull up all these great links, including these awesome books. All right, Uli, we're up to the last question here, the checkered flag, and this can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car in the world. Doesn't matter how much it costs. Don't worry about that because I'm going to write the check. What would the car be and why? That's a tough one, I can tell you. Yes. <laughs> so if we don't have to have an eye on the budget, I would have to think about the Ferrari 250 GTO. Not because it's so expensive, but it's so iconic. So I, I cannot imagine having ever seen a more beautiful car than that one. Yes. Uh. But... There's the Porsche 917 around, and then there's also the Porsche 956-962 around. So if I would have to make a decision, I would most probably go for the Porsche 956. 
Ah, oh, okay. Well, you saved me a little bit of money, but not much. <laughs> not much, really. Not much. No. Yeah. Porsche 957. Oh, yeah. What a beautiful car. Well, I'm not surprised you pick a car like that, a performance racing car. Wow. What a special ride. Well, okay. I'll get to work on that for you. Uh, as long as I can bring it over and maybe you can uh, take me for a few laps around the uh, Nürburgring in that car so I can see what it's like to drive that track the right way. Oh, my gosh, that would be cool. Well, Uli, you have taken us on a great ride today. I have really enjoyed learning more about you, and I appreciate the time you spent with me back at the SEMA show in Las Vegas that evening. We had such a great time together. I really enjoyed getting to meet you in person, and I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Is there one parting piece of wisdom or guidance you might offer us before you rip off down the racetrack in that Porsche 956? You bring the car, I give you the ride. That's okay, uh, there you go. <laughs> so, so basically, yeah. <laughs> so basically, I think I mentioned it right in the beginning. So um, I think you should all try to get out of your comfort zone uh, and never give, give up to, to follow your goals and what you're aiming at. But also, if a plan doesn't work, change the plan, but don't change your goal. Ah, great words of wisdom. And what's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you and learn more about Recaro Automotive Seating? Recaro Automotive Seating is reachable under recaro-automotive.com, but you can also visit www.adient.com, and I'm available on Facebook. There you go. Well, listeners, I'll make sure I put links to everything here that Uli has shared on his show notes page at the Cars yeah website. I would encourage you to check out what Recaro is offering these days. I think you're going to be very excited to see what this iconic brand is doing today and into the future. Guten Tag, Uli, for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Vielen Dank, and see you soon. Thank you. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.